I can remember three storms. I can remember a lot more than that, uh, but there's three in particular, three storms in particular that I remember uh, in my life that were pretty severe, uh, that were fairly memorable. Uh, I remember I remember being a kid, being a, a real little guy, and uh, storms have always kind of frightened me. They quicken my pulse. They, they give me a little nervous feeling. I, I get nervous with storms. I... Uh, I remember uh, sleeping on the floor next to my parents' bed many a night um, with uh, storms because there's no safer place to a child than on the floor next to your parents' bed in the middle of a thunderstorm. Uh, so kids, just remember that. There's no safer place to be. Um, but I remember these three storms when I was growing up, uh, and, and not even growing up, just in the past 41 years. Uh, the first is uh, my family was at West Beach. Now, Whenever I grew up in the area, I grew up in Crown Point, and whenever we went to the beach, we would go up to, Gary would go to West Beach, uh, and we would uh, have a day at the beach, and it was a lot of fun. We used to love going up to the beach. It was a, kind of a treat, uh, so we would, we packed up everything. We, we got a cooler, we've got blankets, we've got beach towels, we've got everything, right? Everything, we're ready to go. Sunscreen, because we burn, uh, so we're, we're all taken care of. We go up to the beach, it's a nice, hot summer northwest indiana day we go to the beach we're, we're sitting at the beach and uh this is in the days before the weather channel right, this is in the days before you knew exactly what was going to happen every 15 minutes of every day so we're at the beach and all of a sudden the wind switches now you know what i'm talking about right you felt the wind switch before have you ever been to the beach and felt the wind switch yeah the wind switched came straight out of the north and a squall line developed over the lake. We knew we were in trouble. Cornets are not the speediest animals on earth. In fact, our family crest has a sloth and a uh, snail uh, and, a, uh, <laughs> and a turtle on it. So the, uh, we're not the speediest, but uh, we moved like never before. We uh, got our stuff together. We were putting things together. We're, we're packing up the cooler. We're packing up the blankets, and we're waddling out to our car because that's what we do. And uh, we are moving as fast as we possibly can to get out to our car before this storm hits. And sure enough, we get to the car. We get it loaded up, and the storm breaks. It just hits, and it is pouring buckets. It is raining cats and dogs, and there's thunder, and there's lightning, and, and we didn't know if we were going to make it. I mean, it was a scary ride home. All six of us crammed into a car. We didn't know if we were going to make it. A second storm I remember is a different kind of a storm. We were living in Minnesota. We moved to Minnesota in February of 2002. And we moved in February of 2000. Now, who moves to Minnesota in February? This guy. So we moved to Minnesota in February of 2002, and let me tell you what, I got a false sense of security, I got a false sense of reality when we move in, and it's like 35, 40 degrees in February in Minnesota, and I said to myself, this isn't so bad. <laughs> it was bad. Two weeks later, spring break, okay, it's quote-unquote spring break in Minnesota. We go to bed one night, we wake up the next morning. It's 15 below outside, and there's 13 inches of fresh snow on the ground. 
13 inches overnight, 15 below. We're freezing. My wife has to go to the south side of the Twin Cities for on-the-job training. So we lived at the very north end of the Twin Cities. The entire Twin Cities is covered in 13 inches of snow. She's got to go to the very south end of the Twin Cities. Wake up. There's all this snow on the ground. It's freezing cold. I'm like, what have we done? She goes out to the car. I'm trying to wake up. I'm not a, I wasn't a morning guy at the time. I've become a morning guy. So I'm trying to wake up. She's like, the car's buried in snow. I, the driveway's buried in snow. I don't know how I'm going to get out. I don't know what I'm going to do. She goes out. She, she, she guns it as fast as she can out of the garage. She makes it about four feet, and the car just sticks. So she's, she's sitting there trying to rock the car back and forth, and she's trying to get it moving. You know, I'm glad she didn't put a hole in the back of the garage. But um, so we're, 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 we're stuck. And all of a sudden, my friend Al, Al went to our church. He lived three doors down. And Al had an industrial, we didn't bring a snowblower with us. We lived in central Illinois. They got maybe 13, 14 inches of snow a year. We moved to Minnesota. I should have read an almanac or something because it's 72 inches of snow a year. Six feet of snow every single year. And they're not lying. It's true. So Al comes down the street. He's got an industrial snowblower. This thing has a hood on it. I mean, it's like a car uh, almost, and he's just coming down the street. Now, Al was a Packers fan, which is, explains why he was so kind and generous. And uh, so he comes down the street in his, uh, uh, in his industrial snowblower, and he blows the snow, the snow right out of the, out of the driveway, and it was great. You know, she made it down, but she told me later, I didn't know if I was going to make it. The roads were horrible. The roads were atrocious. All this snow and ice, it was awful. I didn't know if I was going to make it. The third storm I remember is one much more recently, five or six years ago. I was in an elders meeting here at the church, and we're having an elders meeting, and all of a sudden the power goes out. Now we knew, we knew that a storm was coming. We just didn't realize it was going to be this bad. The power goes out. We meeting adjourned. Let's go, guys. So we go out to our cars and we start to make our way home. I had to reroute about four different times because as I was going down a street, I, my, my headlights would hit a tree laying in the middle of the road. Not branches, trees. And I said to myself, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I, I reroute three or four times. I finally make it to my house. I run inside and my wife and my child are in the, on the bathroom floor. And they look scared. And I, I'm sitting there on the bathroom floor, and I thought, I, I want to see what this looks like. Because I can hear the wind just howling. I can hear the thunder clapping. And I open the bathroom door, and I look outside, and it's, and it's brilliantly bright light. It was nonstop lightning for minutes on end. Just nonstop lightning. And I thought, what is going on? Out? It, I felt like I was in a war zone. What is going on out there? And so... I found out the next day a tornado had gone through the north side of Griffith. EF2 tornado. Had I known what was going on, I would have wondered to myself, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? How many of you remember that tornado? Scary stuff. Storms can be very, very scary. That is true. Storms can be some of the scariest things that we go through in our lives. Because storms are not just physical, they're not just weather-related, we have storms in our lives as well. 
I think about these three different kinds of storms, a, a squall line that pops up all of a sudden, a, a blizzard of a snowstorm, or a tornado. And I think about how these relate to the different storms we go through in our lives. I think about uh, a squall line that pops up suddenly out of, out of nowhere, a, a pop-up thunderstorm. And it makes me think about uh, financial storms that we go through. Because oftentimes the financial storms we face are kind of like that. They just kind of pop up out of nowhere. We had no idea it was coming, and all of a sudden now we're in the midst of a storm. It typically happens something like this. It's mid-December or mid-January, and your furnace goes out overnight. You wake up, and it's 55 degrees. Anybody have that ever happen to them? About 55 degrees in the house. And, of course, you've got $2,000 in a a savings account somewhere, right? You've got $2,000 to go ahead and replace that furnace the next day. You know, not you, huh? Yeah, me neither. Those kinds of financial storms, or you're getting ready to go out of town. You're getting ready to take a trip, and then you realize that you've got to replace the the wheels on your car. You've got to replace the tires on your car. I priced the tires on my car recently, 200 bucks a piece. $200 each. And you know what? There are four tires on my car. Four of them. That's $800. I can do math. Easy math. What am I going to do when the the tread wears down? And I keep, you know, the Israelites marched around in the desert for 40 years and their clothes didn't wear out. I'm praying for that kind of a miracle. 150,000 miles and the tires just don't wear out. Thank you. But those financial storms come along in our lives, and, and we don't know how we're going to make ends meet because of, of an unexpected emergency, financial emergency. Well, or I think about the, uh, the blizzard, a blizzard of a snowstorm. And, and to me, I think about stress, and I think about pressure. I think about worry and the pressure that worry and stress put on us. I, I, you, know, you know who's got a lot of stress in their lives? Teenagers. Teenagers have got a lot of stress in their life. They have a lot of pressure on them. And it makes me think of a, of a blizzard kind of a snowstorm that just the, the snow keeps falling and falling and falling. And it just puts more and more pressure on them, this kind of a snowstorm that our teenagers are, are facing and, 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 their, and their desire to please their parents or please their teachers and their desire to perform for grades and their desire to perform for athletics or academics. There's a lot of pressure on our teenagers And they feel that, and it stresses them out, and they don't know if they're going to make it. Or maybe you're a single mom. Maybe you're a single mom, and and you've got a lot of stress on you. You've got a lot of pressure on you, and you don't know how you're going to make it. There's a lot of pressure because you've got hungry mouths to feed, and you've got a rent to pay, and you've got things that you've got to do, and you don't know how you're working two, three jobs just to make ends meet. Or maybe you're a dad, and the, the pressure of being the breadwinner falls on you. And you feel that pressure, you feel that weight, like, a, like 13 inches of snow on top of you. And you can barely breathe. And you know, you feel the pressure to provide. And you don't know how you're going to do it. Or maybe you're retired. Maybe you're retired and you're looking at your bank account going, man, things are getting tight. Things are getting really, really tight. I, don't, I, don't, I still got a mortgage to pay. I still got a second mortgage to pay. I got a car to pay. I got all these different bills and things going on. And, and I don't know how the, my 401k isn't going to last forever. What am I going to do? 
And you feel that pressure. You feel that weight. It's like a blizzard of snow on top of you. That kind of a snowstorm. And then there's the third kind of a storm, a tornado. And this makes me think of like an, a, an emotional storm, a, an emotional heartache, a, 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 something that just kind of sweeps in out of nowhere and it turns your world upside down. It, it throws you in a, in a torrent, in a, in a, in a, a vortex of pain, uh, heartache and, and, and pain. You find out, you get some bad news. Someone you love is sick, I mean really sick, and, and they're not going to make it. Or someone you know is, has died all of a sudden out of nowhere. And what happened? They weren't even sick. Or maybe it's you. Maybe you've gotten bad news. Maybe you've gotten some, some bad news about your health. And, and it just leaves you emotionally drained and exhausted and in so much hurt and pain. It's like a tornado. And it turns your world upside down and you don't know if you're going to make it. God's word has a story that, uh, that, about Jesus and a storm. And it's found in John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. And we're going to turn there in just a second. We're going to read this story in the next miracle uh, of Jesus. And John wrote about seven miracles that Jesus performed. And he wrote them for a very specific reason. He wrote them for a very specific purpose. And he tells us what this purpose is in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. John wrote, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wrote his Miracles. He wrote about Jesus' miracles for a very specific purpose, and that was to inspire belief in Jesus. And the miracles that Jesus performed, only he could perform. They were not magic tricks, not parlor tricks. Uh, they were not a sleight of hand, but rather these were genuine, authentic miracles when Jesus did something that only God could do. And when Jesus did these miracles, he brought the power of God into the lives of ordinary people. Such as when he changed water into wine. He took ordinary drinking water, actually ordinary ceremonially washing water. He took ordinary water and he turned it into extraordinary wine. Showing that he was the master over every atom and molecule in the universe. That he could do something that only God could do. He healed a royal official's son from 20 miles away. From 20 miles away he spoke the words that your son will live and the royal official's son was healed. He went to a pool in Jerusalem, the pool of Bethesda, and he healed a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. For 38 years, the man had not been able to walk, and Jesus told him to get up, pick up your mat, and walk, and the man walked. Last week, we talked about how Jesus has the power to provide for us, as we talked about the feeding of the 5,000, how Jesus took a small bit of food, five loaves of bread and two fish, and he fed a multitude with them, fed 5,000 men, and who knows how many women and children. There's probably 20,000 people on the mountain, and Jesus fed them with just a tiny little bit of food. Jesus was able to multiply a little bit and feed a lot. Um, so that brings us to today's miracle. The miracle we're looking at today in John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. If you have your Bible with you, if you could turn there. If you didn't bring your Bible, you can grab one out of the pew in front of you. You'll find it on page 755. 
of John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. And we're going to read this together. It's about Jesus walking on water. And you're going to notice something about this account of Jesus walking on the water. There's three uh, different angles of this story. Uh, Matthew records it, Mark records it, and John records it. And here in John's gospel, there seems to be something missing. I'll let you try and figure out what that is as we pick it up in verse 16. It says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or, four, or, three, or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. They were in Bethsaida, where Jesus fed the 5,000. And the people decided, the people in their hearts, they wanted to make Jesus their king. They wanted him to be their king. Uh, they were looking for a political Messiah, a political king who would get rid of the Romans, who would kick the Romans out. But that's not why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to be a political Messiah. He came to be our spiritual Messiah. He came to save us from our sins. He didn't come to save us from uh, some uh, dictator or some uh, filthy Romans. Jesus came to save us from ourselves. He came to save us from our self-righteousness. And if we'll believe in Jesus, repent from our sins, confess our faith and be baptized, our sins will be washed away. We will have forgiveness and the promise of eternal life. And it's all made possible by God's grace, by God's amazing grace this free gift of his love that he gives, that he offers to everyone. Every man, woman, and child on the planet is, is, has this offer of grace that only God can give, and he can forgive our sins. So Jesus uh, is not going to be this political Messiah they want. He's not going to be their king in the way they want him to be. And so what, what happens is Jesus goes away by himself off on a mountainside, probably to go and pray, to spend time with the Father. The disciples go and they get into a boat. They get in their boat, and they're, they're about five miles from Capernaum, and they set sail for Capernaum. It's dark outside, and these are, this is in the days before like lighthouses and, and ambient lighting from cities uh, that would have a lot of light. Uh, they're on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee sits 682 feet below sea level. So we're talking you know, well below sea level, and it's surrounded by hills and mountains and ravines and canyons. And what happens is, is uh, winds will come sweeping in from the mountains. They'll come over the mountains and they'll, they'll pick up speed, and squall lines and storms are very uh, common to pop up on the Sea of Galilee. So you've got all these storms cut that arise on the sea, and these guys are seasoned fishermen. They know what they're doing. But you know what happens it, on this dark and stormy night? Uh, sure enough, a storm pops up. And the disciples are rowing against a wind. They've rowed three or three and a half miles overnight. They're still a mile and a half away from their destination. And they're rowing and they're fighting in the wind. And they're working as hard as they can. And all of a sudden, they see something. They see someone. Now, I don't know if Jesus had like a little glow about him or what, because it's pitch black outside and it's storming and the wind and the waves are, are crashing against the boat. But they see something. They see someone. And the Bible says, John says that they were terrified. One of the other gospel writers says they thought it was a ghost. 
Now, why would they be scared of a ghost? Other than the fact that it's a ghost and probably not Casper a friendly one. But why would they be scared of a ghost? Because it was thought in those days that if you saw a ghost at night, it was a sign of impending doom. A sign of impending doom. In other words, it's a ghost. We are going to die. That's what they thought. And, but they didn't know who it was. They didn't realize that it was Jesus. And Jesus calls out to them, sensing their fear, knowing that they are afraid. Jesus calls out to them and says, it is I. Do not be afraid. Now, here's the cool thing about this passage. That word, the the Greek translation for where it says it is I, the Greek words are literally ego eimi. Ego eimi, and that means I am. I am. In the Old Testament, God revealed his personal name to his people, Israel. He revealed his personal name, and his personal name was Yahweh, which literally means I am. And so when Jesus says to his disciples, I am, he is claiming to be God. And let's face it, not just anybody can walk on water. I am, so do not be afraid. I am here, do not be afraid. I am with you, do not be afraid. I am in control, do not be afraid. I am in charge, do not be afraid. I am, Jesus says. Now you may have noticed that here in John's gospel, there's a part of the story that's missing. Anybody know what it is? Peter walking on the water. Now wait a minute seems to me that that'd be kind of an important bit of information to include. I mean, let's face it. Jesus walking on the water, that's impressive. That's amazing. But he's God. He can do that. Peter's just an ordinary fisherman. He's walking on water. Why doesn't John include that? Matthew does. So I don't know if John and Matthew had a thing, or John and Peter had a thing where, the, you know, they kind of butted heads. You know, I'm his favorite. No, I'm his favorite. I'm his beloved disciple. I don't know. But I know that John leaves it out. And, and I think I know why. If you think back to the verse that I read, that that John wrote his miracles for a specific reason, to inspire faith in Jesus. See, John's gospel is all about who Jesus is and what Jesus did, so that we might believe in Jesus, not believe in ourselves. Because when I preached this passage before, uh, when I lived in Minnesota, I preached this passage and this miracle before, and I, I... Remember preaching it from the angle that Jesus wants us to walk on water. But as I read it again and as I rewrote this message and I looked at at this message for this morning, I thought to myself, that's not what he wants. Jesus wants us to trust him. Jesus wants us to believe in him. Jesus wants us to hear his voice saying, it is I, do not be afraid. I am, do not be afraid. It's not about believing that we can walk on water. It's believing in the one who already has. So what does this look like for us? In light of the three storms I talked about earlier, what does this look like? I I think about the first kind of a storm, that unexpected financial storm that pops up, that, that unexpected doctor's bill, that unexpected furnace that breaks down, that unexpected car repair, and it leaves you, it's like an unexpected storm coming up over a, a body of water. And, and what does that look like? How, what, what would Jesus have us do? And I believe that Jesus would have us trust him. You see, he's the same God 
who fed 5,000 people with just two loaves of bread and five, or two, two small fish and five loaves of bread. He's the same God. If he provided for the needs of the people, he will provide for you. He will provide for me. He will provide for us. We can trust him. And some of you know this all too well. Some of you know this firsthand. Some of you know, you know what it is to be in need. You know what it is that these financial storms have come up. And yet somehow, even though you didn't think you could make it, you made it. Because God is good and God is faithful all the time. So when those financial storms come up, when they do come up, and they will come up, when those financial storms come up, trust in Jesus. Hear his voice saying, I am, do not be afraid, trust in me, I've got this. Or maybe it's the blizzard storm, maybe it's the pressure that you feel, maybe it's all that weight of the pressure and stress of life that is bearing down on you that you feel. Maybe you're the teenager who feels like you have to perform all the time, that you have to do, uh, that you have this pressure to always do uh, more and more and more, and that you feel pressure from your parents, and you feel pressure from your teachers, you feel pressure from your friends, you feel all of this stress in your life, and you don't know what to do about it. Hear Jesus say, do not be afraid, be calm, take courage, take heart. It is I, I am here, and I don't, I don't have any pressure on you at all. And the Bible says that we are to take his yoke upon us. A yoke is used to steer two oxen, and they both pull equal weight. Jesus says he will come alongside us, and he will help bear the burdens of life with us. He will be there with us. So when you feel that pressure as a teenage kid and you feel that pressure, say, Jesus, I need you to come help me with this burden. I need you to help me with this pressure. Or if you're the single mom or a single dad and you're, you're working your fingers to the bone, working three, four jobs just trying to make ends meet, and you don't know and you feel all the pressure from your family, from your kids, you've got all this pressure on you, hear Jesus say, take courage, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. I've got this. If you're a, a grandparent and you're watching your grandkids wander away from their faith and maybe you feel pressure that way or you're watching your 401k diminish and you feel pressure that way, when you feel that stress and pressure, hear Jesus say, it is I, do not be afraid. And then we have the last storm, the tornado, the, the storm of, of, of just swirling, uh, swirling vortex of pain and hurt you feel that pressure, you feel that pain, you feel that heartache, you feel that worry, you feel that fear. When that fear comes up, because there's very little in this world that is scarier than a tornado, when you feel that fear in your life, hear Jesus say, do not be afraid. I am with you. And he is. He is with you. You know, it kind of it kind of reminds me of a song that... Uh, a, a Christian artist by the name of Scott Crepain wrote and sang, and it's called Sometimes He Calms the Storm. I just want to read the first verse in the chorus for you. It says, All who sail the sea of faith find out before too long how quickly blue skies can grow dark and gentle winds grow strong. Suddenly fear is like white water pounding on the soul. Still we sail, sail on knowing that our Lord is in control. Sometimes He calms the storm. With a whispered, peace be still. He can settle any sea, but it doesn't mean he will. Sometimes he holds us close 
and lets the wind and waves go wild. Sometimes he calms the storm, and other times he calms his child. See, Jesus may not speak peace to the storm, but he will speak peace to you. Jesus may not calm the storm, but he will calm you. And the point of this whole message today, the point of this whole sermon, is not about Peter walking on water, because Jesus isn't calling us to walk on water. He is calling us to trust him. He's not calling you to jump out of the boat. He's not calling you to walk on the water. He is calling you to trust him, to believe him, to believe that he is in control and that he is in charge. Whatever you're facing, whatever fear you've got, whatever worry is on your mind, whatever stress is stressing you out, know that Jesus is in control and that he can handle it. I've heard people say, well, you know, God won't give you more than you can handle. It's not true. God won't give you more than he can handle. And he can handle an awful lot, including your fear, your pressure, your stress, your storm.